The scene that we just read from the scripture from the end of Genesis 47 through toward the end of Genesis 49 is a dying father blessing his children, blessing his grandchildren. But it's actually not necessarily all blessing. We see that he doesn't have much very good to say about Simeon and Levi in 49, 5 to 7. In fact, he says, Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. So it's not quite right to say it's a scene of blessing. Furthermore, it's not merely just a father saying stuff to his kids or saying stuff to his grandkids, but Jacob or Israel is speaking prophetically. That is, he's speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We know this from 49 and verse 1, where it says, Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Obviously, there were things that had been revealed to him by God, which he is speaking here. And then in 49 and verse 28, the narrator says, This is what their father said to them as he blessed them blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. And so there's also this stamp of approval upon what Jacob has said, upon what Israel has said. And so we can't say, well, really, for example, Simeon and Levi weren't that bad. Jacob was just bitter about it, and Jacob was wrong. We can't say that because the narrator says it. What he said to each was suitable to him. And so Jacob speaks without error. Jacob speaks with supernatural knowledge into the lives of his children and into the lives of Ephraim and Manasseh, his grandchildren. We certainly see here, again, God's care for individuals. God doesn't merely deal with nations. God doesn't merely deal with kings, but God deals with individuals. God deals with individuals even insofar as distinguishing, making a distinction between one and another and treating one a certain way and another another way. We see again here this theme that has come up several times in Genesis where Manasseh, the firstborn, is actually subjugated to Ephraim, the secondborn. And so it was... It was Seth, but not Cain. And it was Isaac and not Ishmael. And it was Jacob and not Esau. And again here, it's Ephraim and not Manasseh. So we see even that in families, God differentiates and distinguishes between individuals. God is very involved in the microcosm. And we see that here as he's naming people by name. This is what's happening with you and your descendants. <clears throat> but more is going on. Genesis 28, 10 to 15, and Genesis 35, 9 to 15 are in Jacob's mind as he undertakes this task of blessing Ephraim and Manasseh and then the rest of his sons. Let's read those passages together and then come back to Genesis 48. 
So turn with me to Genesis 28, 10 to 15. Years earlier when Jacob was still a young man, childless. Genesis 28, beginning at verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of that place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it, or as the footnote says, beside him, and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And Genesis 35 Verses 9 to 15. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. And then down just below, just make a note of this, just below in verses 16 and following is when Rachel dies while they're on their way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Now turn back to Genesis chapter 48. Jacob says to Joseph in verse 3, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. And so it seems with Jacob mentioning these two things, that they're in the forefront of his mind as he comes now to make these prophetic declarations to his children and to Ephraim and Manasseh, his grandchildren. So in Jacob's mind, these prophetic declarations that he's about to make are not just his own cogitations as he draws near to the end of his life and wants to say something, some last words to his kids. Nor are these just 
haphazard or random dealings of God with these particular people. But in Jacob's mind, what he's about to say is connected to the promises that God had made to him earlier in his life. These things that God had promised are in the forefront of his mind as he comes now to speak blessings and curses on his children and on his grandchildren. So this section of scripture is a capstone actually of an extended narrative reaching way back in Genesis. Dealing with God's faithfulness to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, who was later called Israel. This section is a capstone of an extended narrative about God's faithfulness to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. And this is going to set the scene as we finish Genesis and come into Exodus very soon and then continue on to the rest of the Old Testament, this is going to set the scene for how God is going to deal with the children of Israel on the basis of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that's the function of this little section of narrative here. It's not just, it's not just like, oh, that's interesting. Someone's great-granddad said a blessing over his grandson. That's interesting. It's much more than that. This is a hinge where God is moving from dealing with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to dealing now with the children of Israel into the rest of the Old Testament. So with that in mind, let's look at four passages reaching back into Genesis, which help us understand what's going on in this passage this evening. The first is Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2. God says to Abram, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. It's that phrase that I read at the beginning, I will make of you a great nation that is of particular concern. Because who are we dealing with now in Genesis 48 and 49? We're dealing with the descendants of Abram. God promised to take a special interest in the offspring of Abram. God promised to make a nation of the offspring of Abram. And what we find now, many, many, many years later, and the scene is now in Egypt, where his great-grandchildren have ventured, God is now going to deal with the children of Israel. And he's going to eventually make them a nation. But what we read now is prophecy of how he's going to deal with these great-grandchildren of Abram. In fulfillment of this promise, way back in Genesis 12 and verse 2, to take a special interest in Abram's offspring. The phenomena of prophetic declarations by name here in this section, Genesis 48 and 49, shows that God is exercising special care for the family of Abraham. The very phenomena of it, the very fact of it, that it is happening, shows God's faithfulness in doing, in time, what he had promised Abram to do way back when. 
to give special care and attention to his descendants. Let's look now at Genesis 15, verses 13 to 16. The Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. If we go back to the end of Genesis 47, when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, Put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. What's his request? Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. You see, in Jacob's mind, he wants to be buried there because that's going to be the eventual home of his children. The children of Israel aren't going to be in Egypt forever. They're eventually going to be back in Canaan. Jacob wants to be there. And so what we see is that there is going to be an eventual setting and settling of the children of Israel in Canaan. And so Jacob wants to be buried in Canaan. And all of this connects back not only to what God has promised Jacob in Genesis 28 and Genesis 35, but even it harkens all the way back to what God had promised Abraham, his grandfather, way back in Genesis chapter 15. Now let's look at Genesis 17. Just read a selection of verses from this chapter, beginning with 1 and 2. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Verse 7, And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be God to you, and to your offspring after you. Now 9 to 14, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now what we see here is that God entered into a legal covenant which could be broken with Abraham 
and with Abraham's offspring. What we see now in Genesis 48 and 49 is that God is actually dealing with certain people according to their works. Look at what he says about Reuben. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. That's basically speaking to what he should have been as the firstborn. But remember that he went and slept with one of his father's maidservants. And so he says, unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Instead, who, which son gets the double portion then? Remember, a son used to get the double portion, the firstborn son? It's not going to be Reuben. Which son is it? Think about it. It's implicit in the text, but it's not explicit. It's Joseph. Because Joseph gets two tribes. Ephraim and Manasseh. And so each of the other sons receives one twelfth. Joseph receives two twelfths. And so what you see is Reuben, who acted badly, doesn't receive the blessing of the firstborn. But Joseph, who is commendable throughout this narrative, who is even a type of Christ, receives a double portion. We also see Simeon and Levi cursed. Let my soul not come into their counsel. Oh, my glory be not joined to their company. Company. This is the words that a son does not want to hear from their father on his deathbed. Basically, I want nothing to do with you. I want nothing to do with you, boys. It's very harsh. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. This is the last words of Jacob to these sons. This is in keeping with the legal, works-based, breakable covenant that God entered into with Abraham concerning Abraham and his offspring, which we read about in Genesis chapter 17. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant with you. Keep my covenant, you and your offspring. Then he says, you need to all be circumcised. And if if you're not circumcised, you're going to be cut off for you have broken my covenant. That's the nature of the kind of covenant. There was conditions, expectations, laws, rules, and the way that you would be treated by God would depend on how you kept the covenant. We see this playing out with the children of Israel further on down the road too. We read earlier in our service from Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you will obey, then blessed shall you be. In this way and that way. If you will not obey, then cursed will you be in this way and that way. What you see happening already here is that God is dealing in a legal way with the children of Israel. He's dealing with them based on their meeting of conditions or lack of meeting conditions. Here already in Genesis 48 and 49. And he's going to continue dealing with the children of Israel that way. Even when he brings them out of Egypt and enters into covenant with them as a nation at Sinai. There's still going to be conditions 
and their faith is going to depend largely upon their obedience or their disobedience. As I read earlier from Romans chapter 10 and verse 5, Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. That covenant was a legal law-based covenant. Jeremiah 31 says that God will make a new covenant, not like that covenant that he made with them, which they broke. If they broke it, it must be breakable. If they did not keep it, it must mean that it's possible not to keep it. So we see another connection between how God was dealing with Abraham way back there and how God is dealing now with the children of Israel. So God promised Abraham special care for his family. And here in Genesis 48, 49, he's giving special care to the descendants of Abraham. In Genesis 15, God promised Abraham that there would be an eventual settling in Canaan. Years later here, Jacob takes that by faith and wants to be buried in Canaan. In Genesis 17, God enters into a legal, works-based covenant with Abraham and his offspring. Here, we see some of the outworking of that as he deals differently with Reuben, Simeon, and Levi for their evil, and with Joseph for his righteousness. We see the outworking of that happening already. And so what you see in this section is it's not just God dealing with random individuals, the way that he might deal with your friend Bill down the street. That's significant for Bill, but it's not necessarily significant for the world. But what is happening here is significant for the nation of Israel and by extension for the world, because this has to do with the covenant that God entered into with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob concerning the children of Israel or the Jews, which obviously in the rest of the biblical storyline is a major narrative. And so as we come to the end of Genesis, this section is a little is a capstone on that whole extended narrative of God's covenantal dealings with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now the children of Israel. So we've seen those three things, special care for the family of Abraham, eventual settling in Canaan, and Jacob's laying hold of that by faith and wanting to be buried there. And thirdly, we're seeing the outworkings of this works-based covenant that God entered into with Abraham and his offspring. The fourth passage that I want to highlight as we consider the significance of 48 and 49 is Genesis 22 and verse 18, where God says to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. We know, of course, as Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16 says, It does not say to your offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. It's in Christ that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. What does that have to do with Genesis 48 and 49? Flip back there. Look at what Jacob says to Judah. Verse 8 of chapter 49. Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. 
your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion. The lion of Judah. Verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him the obedience of the peoples. What's prophesied here? A lion of Judah and a king from the tribe of Judah. You see, way back in Genesis 22, God said to Abraham that all the nations of the earth would be blessed in him. He had said later in Genesis 35 to Jacob, kings shall come from you. Remember how the narrative of Joseph started. It was with dreams, wasn't it? What was the effect, or not the effect, what was the the general tenor, the gist of the dreams? It was that Joseph would rule over his brothers, isn't it? And did God bring that to pass? Yes, he did. We see in Genesis 49... The blessings of Jacob upon Joseph on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Says the archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him and harassed him severely. That's probably a reference to his brothers, to Potiphar's wife, who made him struggle so much. And yet the God of his father helped him. The Almighty blessed him. And he was set apart from his brothers. Indeed, he was elevated. He was raised up. The God who prophesied that about Joseph has here prophesied that there will be another king coming from Jacob's loins, as it were, from the tribe of Judah, a lion, a ruler. Of course, this refers ultimately to Christ. Christ Jesus is the Lion of Judah. Who ripped, who bit up, who tore apart his enemies. Death, sin, Satan. He's a lion with a serpent in his mouth, as it were. This Lion of Judah is the seed of the woman who will crush the serpent's head. And how did he do it? By acting like a lamb. By laying down his life for his people. After doing what? Fulfilling the legal conditions for blessing. You see, we actually trace our standing before God, back to God's dealings with Abraham also. You see, because we are counted as children of Abraham by virtue of our connection to Christ Jesus, who is the seed or the offspring of Abraham. But unlike the other 
seeds or offsprings of Abraham who deserved only cursing. This particular seed deserves only blessing. And deserving only blessing, he went and became cursed in order that the blessing that he earned might fall on us instead. This is the way that the Lion of Judah defeats his enemies. This is the way that the Lion of Judah crushes the serpent's head. This is the way that the king with the scepter exercises his dominion. It's by laying down his life for the citizens of his kingdom. In Genesis chapter 48 and 49, we see that God is not just randomly dealing with individuals or randomly dealing with even families. But what's happening here is the outworkings of the covenant made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's explaining how he's going to deal with all the various ones, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Zebulun, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Asher, and so on and so forth. How he's going to deal with them, but how he's also going to be just dealing with not only them as individuals, but them as tribes. How he's going to deal with the nation as a whole. And in fact, here he's, he's telling that there's going to be a lion from Judah and a king with a scepter. And this is in fulfillment of that promise that in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so this is really, these two chapters is really a capstone on the whole narrative of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now we turn our attention to how as Jacob fades from our view, he dies in the very next section of scripture. As Jacob fades from our view, now we're going to continue with the Old Testament narrative moving forward and see not how he's going to deal with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, but how he's going to deal with the children of Israel and how through the children of Israel, there is going to be one who will come from the tribe of Judah in whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so these couple chapters are really moving the whole narrative of redemptive history forward. It's like a hinge moving from the patriarchs to God's dealings with the nation of Israel. And so may we all not simply just gloss over sections like this, thinking what on earth does it have to do with Raiders? What does Raiders raiding Gad have to do with me and my life? But will we be able to zoom out and see how even all of the very little details are woven together in an intricate tapestry of redemptive history that culminates ultimately in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. And would we all trust in that Lion of Judah who is prophesied here, that King who is coming, and will we be among those who bring tribute to Him and obedience to Him? Would we trust in Christ Jesus for salvation from our sins, the Lion who laid down His life like a lamb? And would we offer up to Him the obedience that He is due?